0: It is good to be with you, I know Casey said it, gotta say it again, if this is your first time at Meadows Church, I wanna say welcome home. We are super excited that you're here. God is doing something amazing. Um, boy, we had, an, we had an outreach yesterday. Anybody go to the outreach? Raise your hand if you were there. Was it awesome or what? We probably had 300 plus kids there partying for Jesus. It was incredible. I mean, we gave away prizes. I won an Xbox. My wife won an Xbox. My kid won an Xbox. My other kid, I'm just kidding, we didn't win. But somebody, some of you won, didn't you? Won Xboxes and bikes and I love it. And people say, why do you do such all this stuff and why do you give away all these things? It's for people. It's always about the people. People matter to God. You matter to God. You matter to God. This is why we do series like the Power of Three. That's a series that we started last week, because um, three is a big number, say three. Three. Three is a big number. and you're going you're gonna to understand why after this message today. Um, I grew up uh, I grew up in a small town, uh, 1,200 people, graduated with 33, and uh, I grew up Catholic. And in Catholic grade, so I went to Catholic grade school, so, so first grade all the way through eighth grade, we wore the same three, say three, wore the same three pieces of articles of clothing every day. Every day, blue pants, a white shirt, and a red sweater. A Blue pants, a white shirt, and a red sweater, and, and I didn't mind it. I did not mind it at all. Some of you might maybe thinking, "Oh my gosh, how boring." I thought it was great. I go to the closet. You know, I think oh, I'll wear my blue pants today. It was it was easy. I, it was something about easy. So I have a picture that I'll show. This is my fam- This is my me and my siblings uh, before school. Look at that. So yeah, there's me. I'm the far or one one off to the right. Um, this uh, this is us before school. Talk about a motley crew. Um, it was crazy, you guys. This is what we dressed like every day for school and. Uh, I am gonna share something. When I found this picture, it's kinda of funny because uh, well it's actually kinda of sad I think. We uh, my mom so my mom basically raised six kids by herself. So we didn't have much our, our store that we shopped at was called Sally's. It turned out later I found out that was short for the Salvation Army. That's literally where we shopped. That was the store we went to to get our clothes. And if we weren't buying clothes there, we were, we were passing clothes down to each other. So my mom was the queen of hand-me-downs. And I had all those sisters right in front of me. So there's pictures of me in pink pants, striped pants, flowered pants. So when I found this picture, I was just grateful I wasn't wearing a skirt. I'm, I kid you not. It was, it was that serious. But in Catholic school, um, there was a lot of threes that happened. Like we went to confession every three months. Every three months, we, we'd leave the school for like a period and walk to the church and stand up in line to go confess our sins to the, to the priest. And uh, I, the, attendance was, attendance was almost really low on that day. A lot of kids would lie to their parents. Oh, I don't feel good. They don't want to go to confession. So think about that. We're lying to our parents and not going to confession where we need to confess our sins. I'm like, well, that's another sin we need to confess. It was just crazy. So every three months, we go to confession. I went to church three times a week. You guys think you got it rough once a week? Three times a week. Tuesdays, Fridays, Sundays. For eight years. I at 18, I would leave the church and kind of go do my own thing. And my number one excuse was I've I've got church in the bank, baby. I've got church stored up. I've got a reserve for eight years of reserve. That's not a that's not a good excuse, by the way, if you're using that. That's just what I use. I just eight years, three times away a week, the power of three. And it's crazy. I uh <laughs> We didn't call church, church, though, when I grew up. We called it Mass., and I, I don't know why. And I know there's probably a reason that I don't know the history behind that, but it was always mass. We're gonna to go to Mass today. And it makes me think of the story of a, a Southern woman that was running late for Mass. At least she thought she was, and she drives to the church and she's frantic and she's running. She parks her car, caught a kitty wampus, and jumps out, and she's running up the hill, purse, flying, and flinging. She's running, and she's like yelling, Is Mass out? Is mass out? Is mass out? And she gets up to the usher. She goes, Is Mass out? He goes, No, ma'am, it's fine, but you're but. Your hat's crooked. Anyway, some of you, so that's maybe pushing it. Um, some of you got that, and some of you—it's probably good you didn't get it. Okay, it's probably. <laughs> Eric, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. So some of you are going to be driving home, and you're going to be like, oh, oh, yeah. So anyway, let's so scripture. Let's get to God's word, should we? Um, 1 Corinthians, first <laughs> Corinthians thirteen, thirteen. Welcome to Meadows, by the way. First Corinthians thirteen, thirteen. Three things last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. We're talking about love next week. We're talking about it this week, too, but we're going to highlight it next week for Easter. Last week, we talked about faith. If, you, if you're if you new to Meadows or you missed any messages, you can watch them all. They're online. They're on YouTube channel. They're on our website. But we talked about faith last week. And this week, we're talking about hope. Say hope. Hope's a big deal. See, we need hope in our life. And I love that hope is the center of it. Hope is the center of faith and love. It's the center of who we are as a church. If someone were to ask me what describes Meadows Church, I would tell you hope. Like, there's hope. I need people to know that there is hope. I needed to know that there was hope in my life many different times in my life. There is hope. Because and, and, when you don't have hope, you're in trouble. And the world will give you a definition of hope. In fact, I have it up on the screen. If you were to look up dictionary.com or go to your dictionary, it would say something like this. Hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. It's a feeling or expectation. I want this to happen. I want that to happen. This needs to happen. I need, so I say it's a worldly definition because the definition you're going to get today is different than that. God's ways are different than man's ways. I'll tell you that right now. And the definition that God has for hope is different than that, but we need hope. I mean, we need hope in our world, don't we? We need hope in our country. We need it in our families, our kids. Our kids go to school. School's like it's never been before, right? We live in a new age with social media and all the things that kids have to deal with today. It's difficult. It's hard. Cyberbullying, regular, bu- regular bullying, um, say three. It's three. So one time at a school, there were three kids that were bullying one kid. Speaking of that. So three kids, three big kids. In fact, one of the kids that were, was bullying the kid was the, was the biggest kid in the class. And these kids were getting all over the, this one kid. It was hard. This kid had no hope. Thought I'm going to get beat up again. They're all over me. But finally, he put a stake in the ground. And he said, you know what? Not, not no more. There's hope. And he drew a line in the sand right between him and the other three boys. And he said, I dare you to cross that line. In fact, he said it to the biggest kid. Walked right up to him. He said, I dare you to step across that line. Huge kid. Kid looks at him and says, really? He says, yeah, I dare you to step across that line. Kid, kid had no hope. He thought, what do I got to lose? So the big kid steps across that line. He says, now what are you going to do? And the kid says, hey, now that we're on the same team, what do you, how do I want to take care of these two? You know? So it's, he had hope. So he went from not having hope to having hope. I like that move. It's a good. Use that, Ava, if they ever get on you in school, okay? That's a good trick. Um, hope's a big deal. Let's be serious. Some of you walked in here, and there's pieces or parts of your life where you don't see hope. Okay? Can we just be real? I have them in my life many times, and I share those with you, where we need hope in our lives. Maybe it is a battle with a teenager, and that relationship with you and them is on its last leg. Okay? Maybe it's in your home. Maybe it's, maybe it's a doctor's diagnosis that you've gotten, and you don't see hope in that. A joyless marriage, and you don't know how it's going to even get better. Maybe it's financial bills that are stacking up more and more and more, and you have no idea how you're going to pay them. A struggle with depression. And you're thinking, I'm dying on the inside. And I think God wants you to know today that hope is in this place. That God brought you here to show you that there is a hope for you today. That there is a future for you today. That God wants to do something in and through you, like, like you can't believe that there's hope in the dark places. Turn to three people and tell them there's hope in the dark. There's hope in the dark. There's hope in the dark. You gotta tell, there's hope. Some of you, you're in a dark place, and that's why God brought you here. Praise God that he did. There's hope in the dark. That's the title of today's message. And we're gonna go in scripture, and I'm gonna show you two places in scripture. And the first place I'm gonna go to is the first book of the New Testament called Matthew. Matthew 21, verse one. If you bought a Bible, mobile device, whatever, um, go to that. And if you didn't bring that today, it's cool. We're gonna put it up on the screen. But in Matthew 21, let me set it up, uh, Matthew's the first book of the New Testament, and uh, we're going to tell a story about, um, well, many of you know, know today is Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday is the, the week before Easter, just like it is today, so this is real time, like with the Bible. I'm gonna, We're going to pick it up in Bible, in Jesus' time, a week before Easter, just like we're at today, and this is what Jesus said, I'm actually going to go right, right to the Word, and if you guys need a Bible, I'm telling you, we give them away, we want to give you a Bible, it'll change your life, you start reading the Word of God, I promise you. Matthew 21, verse 1, as Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem on this week before Easter, they came to a town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of the disciples ahead of him, and he said, hey, guys, go into the village over there, and as soon as you enter it, you're going to see a donkey tied there with a colt beside it. He said, untie them both, bring them to me. He said, if anybody asks you what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and immediately they're going to let you take them. I love that right there. Jesus says, you just go to them, they'll let you do it. I'm going to try it this week. I'm going to walk up to somebody who's driving a Dodge Challenger. I'm going to say, you know what? The Lord needs this. The keys, the title, everything. Just give it to me, I'll give it to him. We're cool, right? I don't know. It's just the Lord needs this. The Lord the Lord needed it. Verse 4, <laughs> this took place to fulfill a prophecy. What he's doing right now with the donkey and the colt that he's going to ride into Jerusalem, it's fulfilling a prophecy from over 500 years earlier. So if you read in the Old Testament, there's a book called Zechariah. He was a prophet, um, and he, in, in 500 years earlier, he prophesied from, from God that the, the king of the world, the Savior, would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt, and it's happening. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Look what he says. He quotes the Old Testament. Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming. He's humble, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did his, what Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt. They threw their garments over the colt, and Jesus Christ sat on the colt. More, most of the crowd spread their garments on the road, their coats, and they cut branches. And they put them down on the road that Jesus was going to cross over. That's why they many times called this Palm Sunday. is because palm trees. And you might be thinking, well, they threw their garments on there too, you know. But it, you know what, Casey? Windbreaker Sunday is just not the same as Palm Sunday. It's just, it doesn't have the same ring. But Palm Sunday, that's where it gets its name. Um, so they spread their garments and branches... And uh, Jesus was the center of the procession. Understand something. Jesus is now at the very tail end of his ministry. His ministry was just over three years. This is really the first point. Jesus is really going public. Every, every other miracle and thing that Jesus did, it was kind of a private thing. He said, hey, keep it under wraps, keep it under wraps. He's public now. This is a public demonstration of what Jesus is doing. He's the center of the procession. That's just what it says in God's word here. And the people all around him were shouting. Listen to what they were shouting to Jesus. Praise God! For the son of David. They say the son of David because he comes from the lineage of King David. Jesus does. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city was in an uproar. They were happy as they entered. Some said, who is this guy? And the crowds replied, it's Jesus. The prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. That's who's coming in. In other words, their hope was riding into Jerusalem. That's what that, that was their hope. But my question is this, as we go into God's word today and into each other's lives, was Jesus really their hope or was what Jesus could do for them their hope? Because there's a big difference. My, my daughter Ava and I, we went shopping last week, didn't we Ava? Remember the outlet mall? We love going there, don't we? So dad had to pick some things up and Ava said, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. She was all excited Spending some time together, daddy-daughter time. And Ava's nervous right now because she doesn't know what I'm going to say. It's going to be okay, sweetie. I promise. So we go shopping, and it's fun, and you were so sweet. And Ava's a sweetheart anyway, 13 years old, 7th grader. And we're going, and she was just like, Oh, Dad, we're going to get a pretzel together. We're going to have fun. We're going to do this. And it's just, I mean, it was just lovey-lovey. It was awesome. It was great. And then we get to the outlet mall, and we go into a store, and all of a sudden, three seconds into the store, Ava disappears. I'm like, God, where'd Ava go? And I'm like, gosh, I hope she didn't get taken by somebody. What's going on here? Well, Ava's gone. I have no idea. Well, it turns out I go by the dressing room, found Ava with a a stack of jean shorts about to the ceiling. I'm like, oh, Ava's Ava's shopping too, I guess. So yeah. Okay. So Ava tried on some jean shorts and we have a rule at my house and the jean shorts have to be like below the knee, don't they, Ava? Below the knee. That's our rule. Ava's like, dad, those are capris, not shorts. Well, no, in my book, they're shorts. Okay. So, um, we do, no, the rule is they do got to cover the derriere, right, Ava? They got to cover the butt. <laughs> you ever heard that joke about the lady that was running to church? Anyway, so, uh, so, anyway, um, where was I? So she tries them on, she comes out, and they, they're nice shorts. They're nice, and they look good, and, and uh, she's like, Dad, can I, can I get them? Can I get them, Daddy? And you know, guess what my next question was? How much are they? You bet. Ava, how much are they? And she hesitated, which made me, made me nervous right away. And she smiled at me, like, with her big blue eyes. And uh, I, I'm like, okay, this isn't going to go good. And she said, Dad, they're $54.95. Um, I said, $55? She said, no, $54.95. I said, that's $55. Okay? And after I got done flopping on the floor for the next 10 minutes, I got up. I'm like, Ava, No go back in the dressing room, take them off very carefully, and put, get dressed, and let's get out of here before we do something stupid, okay? And Ava was disappointed, okay? she was like, dad, can I use my own money? I said, no, Ava, we need, I need that money. I borrow from you a lot of times, don't I? I'm like, it's pretty bad when you got to borrow from your own kids, but I do. So I'm like, Ava, no, you can't do that. Dad needs that money. Um, we got out of there, and, and something changed with Ava. Now, she's still sweet. She's still my daughter, and she still loves me, but Ava wasn't as bubbly on the ride home. Can I say that? The car ride home wasn't as, it, it was a different atmosphere. I had to keep looking back and see if she was even in the car. I'm like, man, she's quiet. She was ticked. It was a little bit cold, but she was, so Ava wanted something. Now, it, well, that wasn't the whole reason she came. I, we spent time together, but my point is this. The people in Jerusalem, make no mistake, they wanted something from Jesus. They, they've seen Jesus. Some of them saw Jesus do miracles. They saw them like heal blind eyes and, and, and open deaf ears. So they've seen it or they've heard about it. And they're thinking, you know what? If he can heal her daughter, maybe he can heal my daughter. And if he, and if he can feed all those people, maybe he can feed my family. And they're thinking, and you know what they're really thinking? Because the Jews at this time were under Roman uh, oppression. They were under the thumb of Rome. And, and, their, and their plan was, their hope was that the king would come and overthrow Rome. And the Jews would be free once again to live under God's umbrella and do their own thing. And the, the Roman Empire would no longer exist. That's what they wanted from Jesus. Their hope was in what Jesus could do for them. That is where their hope lied. But we have a saying like at Meadows Church anyway. Because they had a plan for Jesus and what he would do. But we believe in this church that God's plans are better than your plans. And I somehow think with Jesus and those, and those Jewish people that would cheer him on, Jesus said, you know what? If I just met your needs, I would never have a chance to exceed your needs. And Jesus had something in store for them that was way better than the, what they thought. Overthrowing Rome. Jesus says, I'll overthrow the whole world. I'll make you new. I'll set you free. That's what he wanted to do. They had no clue what they were asking. No clue what they wanted. Jesus wanted something better for them. But look what happened. So I ended in verse 11. That's when Jesus, his fame is at an all-time high. Like, it's a big deal right now. What Jesus does in the next verse is weird. It is strange. And and I'll I'll read it to you. It's verse 12. You know what? I want to give you the main point even before we go there. Let me give you the main point for today. And you're going to hear this probably ten times because I want you to leave owning this. Your hope, say my hope, you have hope, by the way. There's hope for you today. There's hope for your family today. There's hope for your, your, the direction God is going to bring you today. There's hope for you today. Your hope, our hope, is not based on something that's going to happen. Okay? It's not. It's based on something that's already happened. Okay? And you might be like, what? I don't get it. You will. I promise. Your hope is not based on something that's going to happen, something that you're anticipating. It's based on something that's already happened. The next verse. Jesus entered the temple... And he went nuts. Jesus began driving out all the people, buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over tables. He knocked over money changers, throwing chairs uh, of, of those that were selling doves. He drives them out and he says, my temple will be called a house of prayer. But you, you've turned it into a den of thieves. Jesus is ticked. And he goes off on the people that were cheering him into Jerusalem. It's the very next thing he does. And I have to think that Peter, Peter came up to him and Peter probably maybe drew something like I'm gonna draw here. And Peter said, Jesus, I gotta we gotta talk, okay? Because things were going good and now things aren't going good. Like Jesus, if we were to look at your popularity like over the last three years. It's, been, it's kind of been on the rise, you know? Steadily, slowly, we had some bad things and some good things, but you started here, and, and it's been going good. You turn the water into wine, Jesus. Remember that? People like that. So that that went there. And it keeps kind of going up. Oh, you fed the 20,000 with five loaves and two fish. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Uh, there was that time, though, Jesus, that you, you told the people to uh, eat your flesh and drink your blood. That They didn't like that, so that freaked them out a little bit. So it goes down a little bit there, but, but it's steadily going like this. Jesus, when you rode the donkey's colt into Jerusalem, they were all over it, and this is good, Jesus. We got an election coming up in 2020. We need to know that the people are with us. So here we are, right here, Jesus. That's where we were like a few hours ago. But after the tirade in the temple, after you went ballistic and threw that chair at that guy, it's not good. Okay, then this happened. That's not good. We're trending in the wrong direction, Jesus. See how this is working, Jesus. This isn't we're losing people, we're losing our fan base, we're losing our followers. But what if Jesus isn't looking for those kind of followers? I I really don't think he is. As Peter would be maybe talking to Jesus about his popularity chart, uh, Jesus wasn't looking for Facebook followers, you could say. He wasn't. He was looking for faith-filled followers. See, Jesus didn't care about the size of the crowd, He cared about their level of commitment. He wasn't trying to win the people over. He came to show them the love of the Father. And that's different than what they wanted. That was different than their plans. And that's why Jesus got so irate about his Father's temple. And and, and Peter didn't get it. Trust me, none of them got it. They're like, Jesus, we are. and, And Peter's thinking, what's in it for them too? He's human. Things are going good, God. Why are you doing this? You're ruining everything. And Jesus says, you don't understand either, do you, Peter? You don't understand either. Say three. Three days after Jesus would drive the people out of the temple, everything changed. This would go even lower and lower and lower Three days. Three days later, the same people that was praising Jesus and coming in on the donkey and saying, yes, praise God, throwing down their coats, throwing down their palm branches, they were the same ones who were throwing up their fists three days later. And instead of saying, praise God, they were yelling, crucify him, kill him. The same people. Three days. Three. The power of three. Things can go real good. Things can go real bad. From the world's point of view, they were going bad. From Jesus' point of view, they were right on track. It's what he had to do. It is what had to happen. I want to take you from Matthew to Luke. It's another gospel. Luke also wrote the story of Jesus. In Luke 23, uh, chapter 23, verse 32. I'm going to read you a few more verses, and this is amazing. Um, let me kind of fill you in know at what's happened. Jesus has since been um, arrested, betrayed by, uh, denied by Peter, betrayed by Judas, two of his best friends. Um, He's been arrested, convicted of a crime he didn't do, and he's been convicted to die. So that's where we pick up the story. Now Jesus has been convicted, and they're going to kill him. Luke 23, verse 32. Two others, both criminals, were led out to the place to be executed. When they came to a place called the skull, all three, say three, all three were crucified there. Jesus was in the center, and the two other criminals were on either side. Jesus says something so wow, so Jesus-like, so countercultural. As they're crucifying Jesus and throwing him up on a cross to die, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Forgive them. The ones that are beating me, the ones that are spitting on me, the ones that yell crucify me, the ones that nail and they'll nail, put nails in my hands on my feet. Jesus, says, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes, throwing dice, fulfilling another Old Testament prophecy, by the way. The crowd watched, and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself, if he's really God's Messiah, the Chosen One. They mocked him. They offered him a drink of sour wine, again fulfilling more uh, prophecy. They called out to him, come on! If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself! They even put a sign above him that said, king of the Jews. Funny thing is, the sign was true. They did it and, like being ironic and funny. It was true. They would, they would kill the king of the Jews, putting him up on a cross, and they would mock him, saying, if you're, if you're the Messiah, save yourself. One of the criminals hanging next to Jesus said, if you're the Messiah, or he said, no, you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and save us too. Remember the world's definition of hope? An expectation of something that's going to happen. See, this criminal had an expectation. You know what? You're going to save us. If you're the king, say, but yeah, save yourself. But make sure you save us too. But listen to what happens here. Listen to the other criminal. Save us while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you, if you're a God, even when you've been sentenced to die, we deserve to die for our crimes. That statement alone from that criminal tells you that these guys were, were bad men. They did bad things. They're not, trying to, they're not trying to appeal anything. They're not trying to deny anything. They deserve death for what they've done. Most likely hurt people very bad, killed people. We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man in the middle, he's done nothing wrong. My question is, how does that guy know that? Isn't that interesting that the criminal says he's done nothing wrong? I, I, when I get to heaven, send somebody, I'm gonna ask him, how do you know? Did you meet Jesus on the road somewhere? Did Jesus do something miraculous in you or for you after you did all your cur- I don't know this guy knows something he's done nothing wrong or maybe it's just the spirit of the Lord telling this guy that this this Jesus guy is innocent he's not who the people say he was in fact he's something even better he said he's done nothing wrong and then uh, then listen to what he says we deserve to die but this man's done nothing wrong then he turns to Jesus and says remember me when you enter into your kingdom what is he sa- so what is he saying right there He's basically saying, you are, you are a God. He's talking about a kingdom. He's putting his faith and trust in a dying king. And he, he doesn't say, save me. He doesn't say, get me off the cross, like the other guy. He just says, just remember me. Just remember me. That's all he said. That's all he asked for. Remember me. And Jesus replied, this is the second time he speaks on the cross uh, in Luke's gospel. I assure you today, you'll be with me in paradise. That, that, that statement has blown me away ever since I was a kid. And watched a show called Jesus of Nazareth and saw it. I couldn't believe that Jesus turned to this, 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 this thug, this criminal this guilty man and says today like in a matter of hours we'll be together in paradise forever this, this, is, this is so crazy what Jesus said it, today you'll be with me in paradise. The faith of this man trusting a dying king on a cross and Jesus says not only will I remember you I will save you i got three more verses. Say three. Three. Verses 44 through 46. By this time when Jesus spoke to the criminal next to him and told him that, it was noon. So it's in the middle of the day. Jesus was crucified at nine in the morning. He's hung on the cross now for three hours with the criminals. Uh, On the third hour, on the third hour, he tells the criminal, today you'll be with me in paradise. And and look what happens. This is nuts. At noon, darkness falls across the entire land until three o'clock. It goes dark. from noon to three the light, it says the light from the sun was gone and suddenly a curtain from the sanctuary in the temple was torn in the middle, that's weird that's kind of an abstract statement that's thrown in there, it's like what? I mean Jesus is over here on the cross but you're talking about some curtain that rips by itself in the temple, we'll come back to that so the the curtain rips in the temple in the sanctuary and then Jesus speaks for the third time on the cross he spoke seven times total, Luke recorded three of them Third time, according to Luke, this is what he says. Jesus shouts to the Father, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last breath. And at three o'clock on a Friday, three days before Easter Sunday, Jesus Christ would bow his head and die. After hanging on a cross for six hours, he finally suffocated and bled out and died. Six hours later at three in the afternoon, and everything is dark, and everything is over. And trust me, hope is gone. It is a dark day. John was the only disciple that was at the cross. The others are scattered out of fear. Mother Mary is at the cross, but guess what? John had no hope. It isn't like John was sitting there thinking, you know what, he said in three days he's gonna rise, so it's all good. He ain't thinking that. When you see a dead body hanging on a cross, you're thinking they're gonna stay dead. I don't care what you've been told. I would tell you that even his mom, Mary, you might think, well, she had faith. She knew that her son was gonna rise. No. Now, I'll show you that next week. If you come back, I'll show you that she, did, she didn't have faith that he was going to rise from the dead. Hope was dead. Hope was gone. It was over. It was dark. And they saw no hope in the dark. And some of you, I want to I I I just tell you that I know that there are places, and I say this because I've got them, where you've got places in the depths of who you are, what you're struggling with, what you're dealing with, that, that, that you have a darkness in you that God wants to put light on today. That you're hurting in an area of your life and you're struggling and you've got, rem- you've got remorse and you've got regret and you've got frustration and you've got despair. That's where they're at. It was dark. There was no hope. So, some of you know a little bit of my story in my drug addiction, an addiction that I had 11 years ago that I hid from my wife and my family and just so, so dark. And that's just, that's just one of the dark moments of my life a marriage that we have struggled with because of my addiction, and all the stuff that I've done. And it, I, I remember driving down 41st Street in, in, a, in a city called Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and I was it was dark. It was my 3 p.m. moment, you could call it. Miserable. And there was no hope. It was gone. I would tell you I was hopeless, and I was helpless. And I was bawling, just bawling. And I'm like, I, it's done. It's over, kind of like when Jesus hung his head and said, "It's over, it's finished." And and John and Mother Mary and the others said, "It's done. It's over." Our King, the King that we thought was going to save us, he—it's over. Hope is gone, and I'm bawling in the car, driving down Forty First Street, thinking my life is done. Not only is my life done, but I've hurt so many people, and it's such a dark place. And there was no hope for me, none. And Jesus—it's like Jesus said, "You know what? Just because it's dark doesn't mean hope doesn't exist." And it's like Jesus was saying, Monty, you know what? And he wants you to know the same thing. It's always darkest before the dawn, okay? And it's in those dark moments when God's light shines the brightest. And God wants somebody to know that there's a light coming for you. There's a hope coming for you. There's a future coming for you. There's a Jesus coming for you. Hope is in this place today. And God wants you to know it. God, what? he brought you here to know it. Your hope isn't based on anything you want to happen. It's based on something that's already happened. You just witnessed it. You just heard it. The word of God, hope is real and it's a done deal. The people would say the kingdom of God, Jesus, your reign is over. You know what Jesus would say to them hanging on a cross dead? My kingdom is just beginning. And it was. His kingdom was just beginning. The the death that Jesus did on the cross, that would deal a death blow to Satan a death blow to Satan's kingdom. It would establish a reign for Jesus forever. This is what it would do. That's what our hope rests in. But what's crazy about the whole Palm Sunday thing and the whole story of Jesus is there's a verse in Luke that Matthew didn't record that Luke did on the on Palm Sunday on today. When Jesus was riding on that little cute little donkey's colt and is riding into Jerusalem, Jesus says something. And I just caught it recently. Like, I've read the Bible through and through. Look what it says in Luke 19. As Jesus came closer, as he rode that donkey in Jerusalem, this is Luke 19, 41 and 42. As Jesus came into Jerusalem, he saw the city ahead. The people are getting ready to cheer. They're throwing down their coats. They're going to praise the king, praise the king. And Jesus saw something different. He didn't see the people like they saw themselves. It says Jesus saw the city ahead, and he began to weep. Like, I thought Jesus only cried, like, once in the Bible— when his buddy Lazarus, Lazarus died no nope. he wept as he rode the donkey into Jerusalem he cried listen to what he says how I wish how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace he knew they didn't get it you're cheering for something that you want me to you want me to take care of something and I want to take care of something, I want to take care of something even bigger I I wish, I wonder if Jesus looks at us today at Meadows Church in the community of Omaha and beyond, our country, our nation, our world. I wonder if Jesus looks down on this Palm Sunday and says, and he weeps and says, I wish you knew. I wish you knew. You keep looking for peace in all the wrong places. You keep looking for hope where you can never find hope. I wish you knew. Like he is weeping for the people. I believe Jesus still weeps for his people. I believe Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father weeping for his people. And this is why I would tell you this week, and I've already told a lot of the team of the church, this is the week if you're ever going to invite anybody to church, this is the week. This is when you do it. It's the number one time that people might be receptive to come that that, that, that don't otherwise come. is, 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 is Easter because they're coming with family and whatever. And I think Jesus is saying, look at the people. It's like, it's like sheep without a shepherd. They don't know where to find peace. They don't know where to find hope. They don't know where to find love. They don't know where to find life. They don't know. And how are they going to know unless you show them? You don't have to spread the gospel. You can if you want, but invite them and let us do it. There's invite cards in front of you. Casey probably talked about it. And I, I can tell you, you know, invite your, invite your whole family. Invite all your coworkers. Just invite one person. Just do one and be real with it. That's all you need to do. And it's not up to you whether they come or not. It isn't up to you. It's up to God. It's up to God. Your job is to do it. I'm telling you. I think Jesus looks at his people and he's weeping. And he sees people that are dead on the inside. Hope in the dark. But they don't see the hope. They just see the dark. And Jesus says, where's my church? Will my church rise up? Will my church stand up? Will my church say something to them? Do something for them? Show them the love of the Father like Jesus did. Easter always brings hope. That's what the cross does. Jesus understands your suffering. Jesus understands your pain. And the cross does it all. It's crazy. Remember, remember the, the curtain? It's interesting. The curtain was in the temple. The temple... Did you take my marker? <laughs> She's like, what? Um, the temple was divided into three areas. Say three. Power three. This is the this is the temple. Now don't 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 hold me to this, but I'm just kind of doing my rendering. Um, this is the outer court. This is for all the people. All the people could go to the temple and worship there and hang out there and do church or whatever they did. They all go there. The inner court. This is for just the priests. You know, the priests would hang out here, sacrifice, do stuff. Um, and then and then and then this is called the Holy of Holies. This is the this is the most holy place. This is the we'll just call it the holy place. And, and and in the Holy of Holies, this is the this is the veil they're talking about. This is the curtain. There was a very thick curtain that was right here. Very thick. This is that veil that was torn that I talked about. It ripped all by itself. It would have been like, I mean, it would have been huge. It ripped in the middle, it was a miracle. So this rips in half as Jesus dies on the cross. So why did that happen? The Holy of Holies is where the the presence of God would hang out with the people at this time. So the Ark of the Covenant was here. Okay, this is the Ark of the Covenant. uh, And then God's presence would rest like on the Ark of the Covenant. I, I don't know why that looks like a tornado or whatever. Just go with me. I mean, tornadoes are powerful. God's powerful, whatever. So the Ark of the Covenant, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you get it? Indiana Jones, he'd hang out here too. I'm just kidding. Um, so the Ark of the Covenant, and, and no one goes in here. The only one who ever goes to, to, to be with God, literally with God, was the high priest. Once a year, he would go in there to atone for the sins. So the high priest would go in here and ask God, forgive the people for their sins, cover their sins for a year. And and, and God would do it. But no one else goes in there. Why? Everybody's a sinner, right? I won't ask you to raise your hand. I already know you are. I am too. Probably the biggest one here is me. We're sinners. So sin separates us. We can't be in the presence of God. That's why only one guy could go in there. And he was even probably freaked out going in there. But he would atone for the sins. So something supernatural happened when Jesus died. The, the, The Bible says it. We read it. It ripped in half. So what does that mean? This is gone. This is no longer here. This is no longer necessary. So you people, you have free reign to go to God. You have free reign to go to God. You don't have to wait anymore. You don't have to go through some other person. You don't have to go through an intermediate, I don't know how to say it, but somebody else. You don't have to do that. It's you and God. You just go to God now. No one else. This is incredible. And this is so crazy because they're not used to that. And God says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. The curtain was gone. That's why it ripped in half. That's what it's signifying. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the way. That's what God says. God says, I love you so much that my son would hang for six hours and die a disgusting death so you could have life and go to your father. So you can go home to the Father. You can go home to the Father. There's hope with the Father. There's hope in the dark. There's hope with Him. And you don't have to worry about any of this anymore. None of these things that you have to do to earn your, you can't earn nothing. Jesus did it for you on the cross. All you do is receive it. The Bible says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's all you gotta do. God, I love you. God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And then you turn and you turn towards Him, turn away from your sin, turn towards God. Some of you, that's why you're here, is God is begging you. He's like, why are you acting like the curtain still exists? You're not even coming to me. You're not even crying out to me. You're dying to your, you're, 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 I'm here. I'm here. It's over. This is, this is gone. This is gone. He wants you to come to him. He's begging for you to come to him. Gosh, there's hope in the dark. I, I, I want you to know that so much. And as I close, I'll tell you, Jesus on the cross with the two criminals, it's interesting that both criminals had equal access to Jesus, by the way, isn't it? They both were the same distance away. One of them wanted Jesus to do something for him. One of them responded to what Jesus was doing in him. This is what God wants you to do. See, God has brought you here today to show you hope in a dark place. To say that your hope doesn't rest on if you get the job or, or, you get, or, or you have a financial breakthrough. Your hope doesn't even rest on that stuff. It doesn't. It doesn't. Hope happened 2,000 plus years ago on a cross at Calvary. And it doesn't stop at Calvary. That's where Easter begins. It goes all the way to an empty tomb. That's what God wants you to know. It goes to an empty tomb. You know what the tomb signifies? It signifies that Jesus Christ has conquered hell. It signifies that Jesus Christ has conquered sin. Jesus Christ has conquered death. That Jesus Christ has already done it, so you don't have to do it anymore. Jesus has done it for you. You just need to own it and receive it and walk in that life and that light. That's what He wants you to do. That's what He wants you to know. That's why we invite others. That's why we have hope. That's why we'll never stop shouting about the love of the Father. Because, because of the empty tomb. The cross turns into a tomb, and the tomb, there ain't nobody in it today. He's risen. He is up. And you might think, gosh, we're getting kind of excited about about Easter. It's not even Easter yet. And I would say to you, why would we wait till Easter to celebrate what God wants to do today? Serious why? Why would we wait? I'm talking about the empty tomb today. It's empty today. It'll be empty next week, too. Come back. You'll hear more about it, I promise you. But I'm telling you, God wants to do something in this moment, and your action item today is this. Number one, I pray that you'll invite somebody to Easter next weekend. Our service times are same, 9 and 11, right here. I pray you will. I pray you will. I will too, I promise you. I will too. I'm in this with you. I'm in it with you. I'm in it with you. Secondly, for somebody that you've never you've never called on the name of the Lord, you've never accepted him as, your, as Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can't earn it, you can't do it. Jesus has already done it. God wants you to come to him. We have a prayer team. Casey talked about the prayer room right across there. I mean, we want to pray with you and for you. But we're not waiting for Easter to celebrate what God is doing today. We will not wait for Easter to celebrate a a tomb that is empty today, a cross that is empty today. We're not going to wait to declare something, and I want to declare to you today something in this place, that there's hope in your marriage, okay? There's hope in your family. There's hope in your finances. There's hope in your job. There's hope with your kids. There's hope in the dark. And that hope is found in Christ. And I need you to know that if you're not dead today, God's not done today. So give him some praise up in this place. God wants you to come to him. God wants you to go to him, he loves you. He's not mad at you. In fact, I would contend he's just getting started with you. I love you so much. It's a privilege to be your pastor. And it's a privilege to see what God is doing in our church, but I'm telling you, he wants to do so much more. It happens when we understand that we can go directly to God, that hope exists in your dark. I never thought it existed in the dark, it does. Hope, hope doesn't, we leave hope, hope doesn't leave us, okay? It's there, and it's waiting for you. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for what you're doing in your house, in your place. You're a good God, and you're doing great things. God, we trust you in this day. I thank you for the people that have come. I pray that they're going to respond to the gospel. I pray that they're going to respond to the good news of your son, Jesus Christ. That on this day, 2,000 plus years ago, he did ride in Jerusalem. And he, did, he, he was hope on a donkey. It was amazing. And the hope he gives is nothing is nothing like what the world offers. It's so much better. God, draw your people in. Let them respond however you want them to, God. I pray that if they need prayer, they don't leave this place until someone prays with them. I pray that if they need to give their life to you, God, and surrender it all, that they will not leave here until they do that and meet with us and let us pray with them and love them and walk with them. God, we trust you. We thank you for hope. It exists in the light. It exists in the dark because you're the giver of it. In Jesus' name I pray and everybody says, amen.